Let's pray. Father, this morning as we uh, come to this passage in your word that uh, speaks of that time where uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced that you would indeed come and uh, in, in person to live on this earth. That in itself is just astounding. So we pray that as we uh, reflect on this passage that before us this morning, that we will indeed be astounded in our hearts at the lengths that you went to in order to redeem mankind yourself. We just ask now that you give us attentive hearts and ears to hear that you might say to us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christmas Day, folks, is only two weeks away. Four, 13 sleeps or 14 sleeps? I oh, know, 14 sleeps, I think. Come on, who's counting? Hey, who's counting? No, oh, one. We've got one person. We've got two people in the church who are counting down till Christmas. Awesome. Well, what is Christmas? Well, Christmas, I believe, would have to be the day where we celebrate the most important and significant event in all of human history. Would you agree? And that event is this, that God himself became flesh and entered into our world to live amongst us in order to show the extent of his limitless love for mankind. That's what Christmas is all about. And over these next three weeks, we're going to be uh, going through a series called Christmas Unwrapped. And the endeavour behind this is to try to get behind, to look behind all of the tinsel and the decorations, the, the marketing and the commercialism and stuff like that, and instead focus again on the wonder of Christmas, on the wonder of this most incredible of events ever that took place in human history. And I think it's important that we do get back some of that wonder, don't you think? Because I think when it comes to Christmas, we've lost that wonder, haven't we? We have truly lost the wonder of Christmas. That wonder that you often see in a, in a little child's eyes, you know, when it comes to Christmas. And sure, I mean, oftentimes they're sort of, you know, looking at the, at the Christmas tree and the lights and the presents and things like that and the, the wonder of that. But what we'll be looking at over these next three weeks is the wonder of the greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind. Over the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking, first of all, at the announcement of his impending arrival. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Next week, we'll be looking at the expectations surrounding Christ's impending arrival. And finally, on Christmas Day, we'll be looking at the arrival itself. Now, announcements can be made in many different ways, can't they? I mean, these days, many announcements are made on you know, social media, Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. But we can sometimes see announcements in the newspaper. For, for instance, people still sometimes you know, put their uh, engagement notices or marriage notices and things like that in the newspaper these days. Announcements can be made through a leaflet or a, uh, a postcard distributed in our letterboxes to let us know of, of an, an event that's, uh, that's coming up. It can be on banners and billboards and, and signs like the sign we've got out the front of the church or you see at schools and places like that. 
And of course, through, uh, you know, through the uh, electronic media, through TV and stuff like that. Announcements can be made in all kinds of different ways. And the events surrounding such announcements usually give you a clue as to how important or how significant or how special that, annou- that, that announcement is. And that was certainly the case with the announcement of God's impending arrival on earth. So what we're going to look this, do this morning, we're going to look at very, five very quick truths from this particular passage today which speaks about the, uh, the, um, the, the specialness, if you like, or the uniqueness of, of this announcement that was given to Mary. And the first is this. It was given by an angelic messenger. We see that in verse 26 of our passage this morning. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. An angelic messenger. An angel came and appeared to this teenage girl there in Israel in this little town called Nazareth. Can you imagine it? That, that, that God saw that this event was going to be so significant, so special, so unique that he had to send an angel to announce this impending arrival of the Son of God into the world. But I want you to notice one specific thing this morning from this passage, apart from the angel, and that is this, is that who was the angel sent from? The angel was sent from God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Sent from God. Folks, you see, the message and the significance of Christmas begins with God. First and foremost, everything about Christmas begins with God and truly is about God. End of story. Because, you know, today all the emphasis is on holidays and presents, on Santa and on food and on, you know, the decorations and the lights and the family time and things like that. As as wonderful as these things are, it's not really the true, about the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is about God and it begins with God. At Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. But his coming was all along part of God's plan. We've been singing about that this morning in the songs that we've sung. That God had purposed this even before the world was created. That this was going to be a part of God's plan that at some point in human history, God himself would come in human form into our world in order to show himself, to reveal himself to us and to reveal the extent of his love towards us. And in that, show us the value that God places on each and every one of us. That announcement begins with God, using that angelic messenger, the angel Gabriel. The next thing we find is that that announcement was given in an out-of-the-way place. Verse 26 again, it says that that, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth. 
Six months after the angel Gabriel had appeared to, uh, to uh, Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem and had told him about the fact that his wife Elizabeth, who herself was, was unable to fall pe- pregnant up until that time, that she was going to have a baby and that baby would be John the Baptist. He would be the person who would come and, and, and announce the impending arrival of Jesus Christ's ministry here, here on earth, his earthly ministry. Six months after the angel Gabriel had first appeared to Zechariah there in the temple, he came to a town. He was sent by God to a town called Nazareth in Galilee to a physical location. And here we see that it is then implanted deep in, into history, into a physical locale here on this earth. Angel came to Naz- the angel Gabriel came to Nazareth. And in this we discover another aspect to God's purposes. Now you might expect that if God was going to enter into our world... God himself was going to enter into our world, then it would be accompanied by much fanfare, wouldn't it? And take place in a major centre. And back in those days, the two major centres were Rome and Jerusalem. Rome being the uh, the capital of the known world at the time. That was the place where the emperor lived. It was the home of all of the, the social and the cultural elite of the day. That was where you know all the world's focus was all centred there on Rome. So you would have thought if God was going to come into our world, then surely he would come to that place, wouldn't he? Or maybe if it wasn't Rome, then surely it would be Jerusalem, the, you know, the centre of, of his, his dealings with his people, the place where the temple was set up, the focus of all the worship to God. That surely it would be Jerusalem if it wasn't Rome. But yet we're told that the angel goes to Nazareth. And it's interesting that we've given a bit of an insight into, into the, how the people of this day viewed Nazareth in, ja, in John chapter 1 and verse 46, where uh, Philip comes to, uh, to his brother Nathaniel and he says to him, We found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so this is after Jesus has been born. This is, you know, Jesus is just about to commence his, uh, his earthly ministry here on, uh, you know, in, in preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God and then in a few years after that would give his life on the cross. Philip comes to Nathanael and he says, We found the Messiah, the promised one of God. We found him as Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael says this, he says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's how people viewed Nazareth in this particular culture, in this particular context, in this time. It was a nothing town. It was a nothing town filled with nobodies and it was a town of people who were despised by the Jews. This was a town which uh, they thought the people in the northern part of Israel, they were inferior to the, to the real Jewish people there in the southern part of, of Judah around Jerusalem and places like that. They looked down on this place. I mean, we can all think of places even in our own city today, our own, our own area where we live, the suburbs that come to mind when we think, you know, oh, we've not got a really good, uh, a really good um, they haven't got a good reputation, have they? I'm not going to say them, you know the places that I'm talking about. This angel went to Nazareth? Really? Why would God choose to make such a significant announcement 
in such an out-of-the-way place? Why would God choose Nazareth? Well, firstly, because it was a fulfilment of prophecy. We see that in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. It speaks about this region in the north around Naphtali and this area which was initially given to the, uh, some of the 12 tribes of Israel back in the, the Old Testament. And this particular region up around Galilee, uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, which is spoken about in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 2, it says that's where the Messiah will come from. And we see that repeated in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is about to start his earthly ministry. He begins it there in and around his hometown of Nazareth in that region of Galilee. So it was a fulfillment of prophecy. 800 years prior to Jesus being born, God had said this would be the place where the Messiah would come from. But I believe what it also tells us is that from the very beginning, God's design is very different to the way mankind works and particularly to our worldly beliefs and ideas and philosophies. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this, God speaking of himself says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's wisdom is far superior than man's wisdom and God chooses to work in ways which just completely blow our minds, which we we often don't expect. God works in surprising and marvellous ways. But God always works in ways that are according to his plans and purposes. Always. The central characteristic is interesting that, you know, here in this place we see that God is exalting, you know, the, the humble and the weak, the lowly. You know how people sort of look down on Nazareth. God is exalting these people. God is lifting them up, this, this whole area. And saying this is where the Messiah is going to come. God exalts the humble and the meek. And that, you know, the central characteristic of Jesus' ministry, right from even before he was born, it was it began in humble circumstances, and Jesus himself was born into humble circumstances. His whole earthly ministry would be one characterized by humility and sacrifice. So therefore, it should also define the lives of his followers, wouldn't you believe? That if we are Jesus' followers, that our lives should be designed, should be characterized by humility and sacrifice if we're going to walk in his footsteps. Third interesting thing about the announcement is that uh, the angel comes and speaks to Mary and says that she is favored by God. We see that in verse, verses 28 to 30 of our passage this morning, where it says this. The angel comes to her and says, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she, that was Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. Mary, you are favoured. See, Jesus' humble beginnings didn't just begin in his hometown, but it, but it was also highlighted by the ones whom God chose to be his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary. Joseph himself, who we're not going to be sort of concentrating at all on today, Joseph was a carpenter, a tradie. 
just a person of very humble background here in this, in this village in Nazareth in northern Israel. And his only claim to fame, so to speak, was the fact that he was a descendant of King David. He was from David's line. Mary was his betrothed, probably a girl in her early teens. Can you imagine? I mean, talk about being plucked completely out of obscurity. This Mary, this teenage girl. Girls, put your hands up if you're around about 13 or 14 years of age today. Come on, don't be shy. We've got a couple of girls over here. One over here, yes. Mary would have been some probably similar to your age. Around about 13 or 14 years of age. And here she was, here in her house one day, doing whatever teenage girls in those days did, whether it was the cooking or the cleaning or that sort of stuff, or you know, being taught how it was to be a, a good wife because she was betrothed to marry Joseph. And this angel all of a sudden appears out of nowhere and says to her, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. Wow. Folks, we can't, we can't dismiss the fact that this is something which took place in human history. This Bible is not a fairy tale. It is a real story of real events that took place. Mary was a real person. Joseph was a real person. Jesus was a real person. Of all the women in Israel... In fact, in all the women in the world, for that matter, in that particular day, God chose this young woman, this young girl, to carry and give birth to the very one who created all things. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 says this. It says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is speaking of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. This one who had created all things, this one in whom the very essence of life comes from, God had chosen to, 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 to be born through this teenage girl that she would carry this baby. Now, you women who have carried babies before, we've got, I think, a couple in our congregation who are carrying babies right now. How would you feel if that baby was going to be God in the flesh? No wonder the angel says that she's a favoured one that she is indeed truly blessed. And Mary will go on to say that she is truly blessed. And Elizabeth will call her blessed and said that she is blessed among all, the, the most blessed among women in all of the world who ever lived. That Mary was indeed this truly blessed woman of God. Of course, Mary at this point had no idea what's, what the angel is talking about. Hence her confusion as to what this might mean. We see that in verse 29, but Gabriel seeks to reassure Mary and again says that she has found favour with God. There was nothing that stood out about Mary. There was nothing that stood out about her. 
You know, she wasn't the most beautiful woman of her day. She wasn't the most attractive or she wasn't the most, you know, um, well-known woman of her day. She wasn't a celebrity in any way, shape or form. She was a woman of complete and obscure background. There was nothing about her that would make the world sit up and take notice. But let me say this, God saw her. God saw her. God looked down and saw Mary. He saw this teenage girl there in Nazareth and he said, You, you are going to be the one who carries me into the world. And folks, God saw Mary and God sees each of us. And no matter how insignificant we may feel about ourselves... God's desire is to pour out his grace and his blessing upon us. In effect, on all people. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, we've been talking about how God planned this. Right back to the time of Abraham said, God said to Abraham that through him and through his line, right the way through to, through to David and right the way through to Jesus Christ, he said, through your line, Jesus will come and through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because of him, because of you. That was God's whole purpose in coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that we might know the blessing of God. And the reason, the way we experience that divine blessing through and favor of God is this it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. I'm just using the Living Bible uh, paraphrase here at the moment because I think it picks it up the, the, the best. It says, Now all praise to God for his wonderful kindness to us and his favour that he has poured out upon us because we belong to his dearly loved Son. So overflowing is his kindness towards us that he took away all our sins through the blood of his Son by whom we are saved and he has showered down upon us the richness of his grace for how well he understands us and knows what is best for us at all times. Folks, if you want to know the blessing of God, you want to know the undeserved favour of God, then the best way to do that is to come to faith in Jesus Christ, is to put your trust and your faith in him and you will have the blessing of God poured out upon your life in such a way as you will have the confidence and the assurance of knowing that you will always be God's child, that you will always belong to him both in this life and in the life to come and that there is the life to come is far greater, far grander, far better than anything we could ever ever imagined in this world today that's how we come to experience the divine favor of god now that's not to say that we experience that we don't experience god's favor apart from that because we do because everything we have in this life comes from god himself as the one who created all things and the one who sustains all things everything that you have today comes from god whether you want to realize that or not so in some ways, we are all recipients of God's favour, but to be a recipient of God's special favour, to know that we are his forever and ever and ever, can only come through faith in Jesus. And that's why God sent Jesus, that we might be reconciled to him, brought into this special relationship with him, and have that confidence and that insurance and that hope that we will be his forever and ever and ever. What this announcement always also picks up is the uniqueness of Jesus. 
As I said, it is through Jesus that all this is possible. And this tells us some significant things about Jesus. First of all, his name. It says in verse 31 that that Mary will conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus was named by God himself. That's another significant thing about this announcement this morning. That Jesus was named by God. These days most kids get named by their parents. God being the father, sending the son, named his son Jesus. And the name Jesus means God saves. And if you go to Matthew, tw- Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, God says through the angel to Joseph that you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His name is significant. Secondly, his greatness. It says he will be great, the angel says. He will be great. That word means exceedingly mighty or extraordinary. Someone who stands out. Deuteronomy 10.17, using this word about God, says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. And again, the same word is used in Psalm 47 and verse 2 where it says, For the Lord the Most High is to be feared. He is awesome. He is great. A great king over all the earth. That same word speaking about God is used here of Jesus Christ. The angel says he is going to be great like God. Next is his title. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Most High God. Fourthly, his throne, he will, he will inherit David's throne. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12 and through to 16, God makes a promise to, to, to King David at that particular time and says that one day there is going to become a ruler who will sit on your very throne, who will follow in your line, and he will rule over the world. But his reign won't be a reign which comes to an end like yours. No, his reign will extend forever and ever and ever. It will be an eternal reign. He will inherit David's throne. Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 picks this up where Paul says that he's a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh but was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord. His throne. Fifthly, his reign. His reign will be an eternal reign. In other words, his kingdom will have no end. You know, all of the nations and all of the powers of this world are going to fade away. At some point in history, they are all going to disappear. But Christ's rule and Christ's reign will not. It will go on forever and ever and ever. And the last point that it speaks about here, about the uniqueness of Jesus, is his birth. That he will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. He will be given, he will, he will be given birth by a woman who has not had any kind of physical relationships with a man before. That in fact he will come about as a result of the miraculous work of, the whole, of God's Holy Spirit in the work of that young teenage woman's womb. And there has never been anyone like him and there will never ever be anyone like him ever again in all of human history. 
So there is the uniqueness of Jesus. And lastly, I just want to focus on this to finish off with, and that is the submission of Mary. And I know that, you know, in terms of, you know, we've been talking about this, this, this amazing announcement and the fact that there, there is nothing, there's never been an announcement, you know, like it ever before in the history of the world. I think we need to take into consideration the response of Mary in what she receives, in, in the news that she receives. As I said before, can you imagine a teenage girl trying to come to grips with the news that the angel has just delivered her? We sometimes forget that this pregnancy was going to have huge ramifications or implications for Mary. First of all, she's got to go and explain to Joseph, her husband-to-be, that she's actually pregnant. And they've, never, and they've not had any kind of physical relationship. How on earth does she go and tell her husband-to-be, hey, guess what, Joseph? I'm pregnant. The risk there for Mary is that Joseph calls it all off there and then. And in fact, Joseph would have been quite within his rights to actually take Mary out into the public square and get everyone gathered around and stone her to death. That was the law. What about the townsfolk that she was living amongst? Her neighbours, her friends. When they find out that she's pregnant and it's not Joseph's. What kind of a woman are you? I mean, in in our day-to-day, people wouldn't bat an eyelid. But in this particular day, in this particular culture, this was was horrendous. How was Mary going to be able to walk out into the street or go to the well or whatever and look at people in the eye and know that there's all this gossip and innuendo and stuff that's going on behind her back? Incredible implications for Mary. Her world is about to be turned completely upside down. But what is her response? She says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. In other words, God, I'm here to do your will and I'm here to do as you please. Regardless of the cost. Regardless of the outcome. What spiritual maturity for such a girl of young age. What incredible spiritual maturity. What incredible obedience and faith of such a young girl. And what a lesson for us. Folks, there's never been a greater announcement in all of human history, as I've been saying, than this news that was delivered by an angel to a teenage girl in this obscure part of Israel back in the first century. That the glorious and the awesome God, the creator and the sustainer of all things, the all-powerful, the almighty one, who he was going to humble himself, be born as a baby in all weakness and all vulnerability in order to show the great extent of his love for all of mankind and to you and to me. That's what this announcement involved. And I believe this is truly the wonder of Christmas. Wouldn't you agree? That God would do that for us. So as we approach Christmas, let's not forget this announcement. Let's not forget all of the implications of this announcement. The fact that it came through an angelic messenger. 
the fact that it came to this, this out-of-the-way place and to this out-of-the-way out woman, this favoured one of God. And it was announcing this uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the one who would be born through this woman. And then her submission to whatever God's will would be for her in her life. Let's pray. Father, help us never ever lose sight of the true wonder of what this announcement means. That you, the Almighty God, was going to come into our world. And you were going to come because you saw each and every one of us in our predicament. That we were so trapped and so enslaved by our sin. That we were in outright rebellion towards you. That we were opposed to you. That we were enemies with you. And yet you looked down upon us and said, I want to show my favour upon these people. And I'm going to do that by coming myself to show them how much I love them. And that love will eventually cost me my life, for I will give it up on a cross, a cruel Roman cross. And I will suffer all of the punishment and I will suffer all of the humility and all of the shame and I will, ex I will suffer all the excruciating agony there on the cross for these people because I love them and because I want to pay for their sin and reconcile them to myself, to give them a future and a hope, to help them to know how special and how treasured they are. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Help us never to lose sight of that wonder in our lives, and especially this Christmas time. Amen. Well, I think today is a fitting time to, uh, to end our service with communion. Uh, we've just been speaking about the fact that Jesus has come. This, these, this table, these elements this morning, speak of the purpose in why Jesus came.